Spring of Life Fellowship and the vision of changing the world invites you to listen to a message of restoration and strengthening for your life. Let's listen to our guest. What us into this world to do is to acknowledge Him in all our ways, and He would direct our paths. We're excited as we begin to get ready for tonight's celebration. Um, aside from looking back and seeing what God has done so far, uh, we're going to have uh, an incredible message from uh, a dear f- hero and uh, a man that we admire much, Dr. R.T. Kendall. And then we're going to have four young men that have been with this ministry for over close to 20 years. Um, doesn't even look like they're 20 years old, but um, they've been with us since they were 15, 16 years old. And these young men have been obedient, they've been faithful, and they've been servants. And so they've fully affirmed in their character to be entrusted to shepherd God's people. And I count it an awesome privilege to, to, to ordain them tonight and to see them come into another season of their life and calling and ministry. We're not the ones that give the calling. We're the ones that notice the calling and affirm and say, God is all over you. And God, you know, you're, you're listening to God. You're pursuing God relentlessly. And so we, the body of Christ, it hasn't been the pastor. It's been the church. It says it's time for these four young men um, to take on a more serious responsibility and weight uh, and burden to do the work of God. So I'm excited because if you got four bulls, ox coming on, we're going to plow the land a lot faster, a lot easier. How many say amen? amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> and so these guys have all the faces of the character of God. Uh, one side of them is an eagle soaring the heights of a relationship with God. And one side is an ox. And uh, really powerful that they're getting ready. I want to put one verse up on the, because this is going to set the tone for the day. And it's Psalm 77, verse 11. A lot of people don't like to look back because their life is full of not seeing God. But if you've been walking with God as long as we have, when we look back, we can celebrate the mighty works of God. There's no bitterness. There's no resentment. There's no regret. And David said, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely, I will remember your wonders from the old time. Verse 12 says, I will also meditate. They will be on my thoughts all day. Everything you have done on all your work and talk about your deeds. So ever since Dr. R.T. Kendall got here last night, we went to dinner and I've just been telling him everything that God has been doing. And he says, it's amazing. I said, God's amazing. And that story should be in your lips too. You should see what God is doing and tell everybody you come across. Because that's what's called the glory of God. The Bible says the glory of this world passes, but the glory of God abides forever for those who do the will of God. Let's uh, stand up and give a warm welcome to our dear friend, hero, and patriarch of the body of Christ, Dr. R.T. Kendall.
Plan B. Plan B. Uh, okay. If you could get the other working, I would prefer it. But I, you know, I, I like to have my hands free. Uh, we have fond memories of being here before. Uh, you people are the friendliest people on the planet. You really are. Make us feel so welcome. And uh, where's Joaquin's dad and mom? There they are, his dad. Wife coming to the next service. Okay. But Joaquin's father is my only fan. You know, and his wife. Anyway, God bless you. Great to be with you. I don't know whether to start or wait and see if you get it working. Uh, well, maybe we should start. I will say this, that I have prayed for today. Every day for two months. For two months, I have prayed every day for my time with you. I wanted to be led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm so honored that you would ask me to come here. Uh, I think, ah, it's kicked in. Okay, take this back. Uh, to think that you have us back. We moved to Tennessee about uh, five years ago. And we missed South Florida, but it was the right thing to do at the time. And I was just so thrilled to be invited to come back and, and, and to be with you. But as I say, I've prayed every day for two months uh, that I would have just what you need uh, for this morning and uh, the next service and then tonight. Well, open your Bibles to the book of Habakkuk. How many can, how many can turn straight to Habakkuk? It's not an easy one to find. I'll tell you how to do it. You go to Malachi and count five books back. Go to Malachi, last book of the Old Testament, and count five books back. And uh, I want to read from Habakkuk 2, verse 2 and following. The Lord answered me, write the vision... Make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still, the vision awaits an appointed time. It hastens, it speaks to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. And then the latter part of verse 4, the righteous shall live by his and in the Hebrew, it's a capital H, His, God's, faithfulness. Now, turn over to chapter 3 of Habakkuk. And uh, it reads, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in God, my Savior. Well, may God be pleased to bless the reading and the preaching of this, his most holy and infallible word. Brief word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray for the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus 
by your Holy Spirit to be upon every mind present, that their perception of what I say will be received and applied in the way you want it to be received. And cleanse my tongue, that I'll be your transparent instrument to say everything you want said, nothing you don't want said. I pray that this will be a life-changing word. And that this will be a word that brings great honor and glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to think back over the last 15 years of things that have happened that are pleasant, but also things that may not be pleasant. And I'm thinking not only right here in this church or in Miami and can consider a lot of awful things that have happened, but since 15 years ago, there was 9-11. And you've got to understand that God is in control of everything and let, lets things happen that we don't understand. And if I had any doubt as to what I was supposed to bring to you this morning, when we learned yesterday of Pastor Rick Warren out in California, whose son took his own life in the last day, it must be the most painful situation for him and yet to focus on you I can't prove this but I've got a feeling that there's someone here that right now you are in the greatest trial of your whole life you're in it right now I think somebody's here like that if so this is a message just for you. And this is a message that will strengthen the church over the next 15 years. Amen. Now, if you are not in your greatest trial, but it's someone else, just remember what I say, because down the road you may need it too. It's only a matter of time. Now, why have I chosen this word from Habakkuk? Well, it touches on one of the most common questions asked by all of us, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, uh, whether you are an intellectual type or you've got the simplest mind in Miami. You've had the question, why does God allow evil things to happen? Answer me this question. Why did God create the world? Why did God create humankind knowing that we would all suffer? Does anybody here know the answer to that question? Now you've got to remember that God is all-powerful. He's all-merciful. And He can stop anything from happening just like that by just saying it. And yet, sometimes lets terrible things happen. I remember as a teenager back in Ashland, Kentucky, uh, there was this couple, newly converted, and they had a little boy who was, I think, three, four years old. Uh, we called him Butch. 
little blonde-headed boy. Everybody knew Butch. We would lift him, carry him, throw him, catch him. And one Sunday, as his parents were driving out the garage, as the car was going backwards, the, his father didn't know that Butch was behind the car. And as the car went backwards, the father felt the car go over something, and he jumped out, and he had ran over his little boy, Butch. They took him to the hospital, and he was dead. That couple stopped going to church. Now, two of the greatest men in the Old Testament were Moses and Elijah. Or, those were the two greatest prophets, but the two greatest men of all were Moses and Abraham. And when you examine the lives of these two, you also find out the two who had the greatest anointing also suffered the most. Now, I remember when I came here some years ago and preached on total forgiveness. And uh, I remember saying to you, there's only one reason that you would want to forgive, and that's because you want a greater anointing of the Holy Spirit. I wrote a sequel to that called Totally Forgiving Ourselves for people who struggle with forgiving themselves even though they know God has forgiven them. But then I wrote this third book. It's just out. Totally Forgiving God and Rick Warren, who never endorses books, endorsed this one. And I couldn't help but think in the last 24 hours, he never could have known when he endorsed my book, that he would be challenged all over again. And he must be asking, why, God, did you allow this to happen? And yet, if there's someone here, you're wanting a greater anointing. I must tell you that those who get the greatest anointing are those that suffer the most. And that was Abraham and Moses. In fact, God promised Abraham an inheritance in the land of Canaan. But according to Stephen in Acts chapter 7 verse 4, that God gave him no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground. But Abraham didn't give up. You ask, well, why didn't he? Or consider Moses. God said to Moses, I have seen the misery of my people in Egypt, and I've come down to deliver them, so I'm sending you to deliver them. But the next thing that happens is that Pharaoh commands the people to find their own straw and make the same number of bricks. And then Moses turns to the Lord and says, God, why? Have you made trouble on these people? You've not rescued your people at all. Well, now, let's establish this fact that God is pure, is just, without any guilt, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. And you might like to know that in my own private Bible reading, I have a Bible reading plan that takes me through the Bible every year. My reading this morning from the book of Deuteronomy included that very verse that God, a God of faithfulness and without injustice. Now, the revelation that Habakkuk refers to 
is the very answer to his prayer. He wanted to know why does God allow suffering and even seems to side with the enemy. If God is merciful and all-powerful, why does he allow evil since he could stop it in a split second? Well, the revelation, the vision that God promised would be a long time coming. In fact, God says to Habakkuk, it speaks of the end. Amen. Now, what does he mean by end? He means the end. The very last day in human history. There will come a day when God will clear his name and explain all this. Well, Habakkuk says, well, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. I want to know now. Sorry, Habakkuk. It speaks of the end. Then I will explain. Now, you've got two reactions. If God says to you, and let's say that you're here today and you're right now in the greatest trial of your life. And you say, I don't understand why this could happen. How could a just God allow this? And he says to you, look, I'm going to tell you one day, but not today. And not tomorrow. But one day. Last day. And you say, I'm sorry, I want to know now. Now, there's two ways of looking at it. One, you say, I have to know now. The other is you adopt the position of Habakkuk. And you know, here's a verse that sometimes when I read it, I can hardly read it without coming to tears. And you've got to remember when you read this verse that this was an agrarian society. They didn't have uh, food in their freezers that if there was not a good crop, they could still eat that day. They lived from day to day, week to week, for sun, rain, the crops. And do you know what Habakkuk said? Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and pr fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in God my Savior. In a word, Habakkuk let God off the hook. He totally forgave him for not telling him right now or explaining what was the reason. When I was 17 years old, uh, senior in high school, I was called out of class one day and I was told to go to the principal's office. There was a phone call. And it was my uncle. And he said, R.T., uh, your mother has just had a stroke. And your father is on his way to pick you up and take you to the hospital. Oh, I said, is she going to be all right? Well, he said, I think your mother's a very sick woman. Well, my father picked me up at the school. We went to the hospital. And there lay my 43-year-old mother. Paralyzed, unable to speak. For the next several weeks, my father looked high and low for every person he could find to anoint her with oil. He had her anointed with oil five times. Three of the people said that they had 
this is their expression, prayed through that my mother would be healed. And one day I can remember as though it were yesterday. My father's running up the steps and he says, son, get up. It was time to go to school. He said, I've just, I've got wonderful news. Your mother will be healed. He said, I've just touched God. She will be healed. And during that time, I also felt that God had given me a word that she would be healed. In those days, I played in the school band. I played the oboe. Anybody here play the oboe? Do you play the oboe? Really? How interesting. Oh, we must uh, compare notes later. Uh, my little high school band in Ashland, for some reason, was chosen to play at the Cherry Blossom Festival in Washington, D.C. And uh, I didn't think I'd get to go because of my mother's illness. My mother said I should go. My dad said go. And so I went and left. Uh, it was an overnight uh, train ride on the train and arrived in Washington the next morning at 7 o'clock in the morning. And I rushed to a phone to call my Aunt Frida, who lived in Washington, to surprise her. And I said, hi, guess who this is? She said, where are you? I said, it's RT. I know, where are you? Well, I've just, the uh, uh, train just came into the Union Station, and I'm at this restaurant next door to the station. He, she said, don't leave. Said, What's the matter? She said, your uncle will come to pick you up. I said, well, what are you saying to me? He said, your mother passed away this morning. And on the day of the Cherry Blossom Festival, I was on an airplane flying back to Ashland. I've never really got over it. That said, look, that disappointment does not qualify me to preach this sermon. What possibly does is dealing with common questions put to me. If, if I were to ask you to guess what was the number one question I got in the vestry at Westminster Chapel. I was there, as you may know, 25 years in London. And uh, I've had every question put to me, I guess, you can imagine. What would you say was the number one question put to me in 25 years? What? Why? It's close. But you know, the number one, it wasn't what happens to the lost uh, that never hear the gospel. Or it wasn't why does God allow suffering. Do you know the number one question? It's a, Dr. Kendall, why can't I find a husband? Why can't I find a wife? Never will forget one Sunday night young lady came in here and she said, would you pray that I would find a husband? I did. And the next person was a, a man who came in here and said, would you pray that I would find a wife? I said, wait just here. I'm going to go get this other one. <laughs> but my most difficult case, possibly in my whole ministry, was that of a, I would say she was 40 years old, lady from Germany, who had muscular dystrophy, spoke with a speech impediment plus a German accent 
and she limped and she was not beautiful and she would ask me Dr. Kendall why can't I find a husband? I would look at her and say, I don't know. We retired a year or two later, and word was sent to me that that young lady went back to Germany and committed suicide. She couldn't take it. So the typical question I got was, why did God desert me when I was at my lowest point? Why doesn't God heal me? Why, when I've served the Lord all these years, have I lost my job? And so I read of Abraham. Quote, Abraham was given no inheritance here, not even a foot of ground, but God promised him that he would possess the land. Now, Abraham could easily have felt betrayed, but he broke the betrayal barrier. You see, that's what we're talking about today. You may recall that in the 20th century, uh, aeronautical science had a great breakthrough. They broke the sound barrier. When an airplane could fly faster than the speed of sound, it was a great breakthrough. But what I'm putting to you today, if you could break the betrayal barrier, when you feel that God lets you down, doesn't do what you thought he was going to do, doesn't stop what he could have stopped, and you think, well, it can happen to others, but why me? All I can say is, you are given a special challenge from the Lord. Now, some break the betrayal barrier. But I have to tell you, most don't. I would say, one out of ten, maybe one out of a hundred, don't give up. Most when God lets them down, just say, thanks a lot, goodbye, and you never see them again. And they never know what might have been had they waited. Well, in Hebrews chapter 11, you have those people of faith, one person after another. The writer says the world wasn't worthy of them. And the very interesting thing is at the end of Hebrews 12, verse 39, it says, All these, uh, though commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. You think, they didn't receive what was promised? Were they dumb? Why didn't they give up? Why would they press on? But you see, those who pressed on and broke through the betrayal barrier, found how real God is. And they're so glad they didn't give up. And so if you today are in your greatest trial, 
You are invited to break the betrayal barrier. Now, Habakkuk is the book in the Bible that chiefly answers the question of the problem of evil. Habakkuk asks, why does God allow suffering when he is perfectly capable of stopping it? In fact, you might like to know, Habakkuk himself had four complaints. Number one, God does not answer his prayer. Two, God looked the other way when violence came upon his people. Three, God's own covenant people are having to endure injustice. Four, God tolerated evil. Well, Habakkuk had a surprising breakthrough. And the breakthrough was that God declares us righteous when we believe his word. Uh, Habakkuk uh, entered Abraham's league because Abraham was declared righteous because he believed the promise. And now God says, I'm going to do it for you, Habakkuk, if you will trust me. And no, I'm not going to give you the answer today, but it speaks of the end. And you're willing to wait till the end. God declares you righteous. And Habakkuk became in Abraham's league. And he broke the betrayal barrier. And said, though the fig tree doesn't bud, there are no grapes on the vines. Though the fields produce no food, I will rejoice. When I was at Westminster Chapel... I need, I need to tell you, they were not all easy days. In fact, hardest days of my life. Uh, the best of times and the worst of times. And I don't know if you know this, Joaquin, but uh, I had some deacons that turned against me. In fact, half of them. Yeah, and they made it pretty miserable for me. And I was saying, God, why are you letting this happen to me? And uh, one day, I, my eyes fell on a verse... And the verse says this. It's in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 6. He says, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you. And I thought, oh, good. Thank you, Lord. And then I felt an impression. Keep reading. Oh, dear. He says, this will happen when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire. I thought, no, I don't want to have to wait till the second coming. I want you to kill him now. <laughs> That's the way I felt. And you wonder, why does this happen? You want an, I want an answer. Now, in case you haven't figured it out, I'm dealing with a very heavy subject today. And I wrestled whether I'm supposed to preach this. I thought, Lord, is this something these people need to hear? And I knew I had to do it. But we're dealing with something very heavy. It's called the problem of evil. It's the greatest theological, philosophical problem there is. Now look, only a fool would claim to solve the problem of evil. That said, I'm going to have a go right now. And I'm going to give you one of the reasons that God allows evil and suffering. And if you can take it, you will never be the same. And the answer is, in order that you might have true faith. Now, there are two worldviews 
when it comes to faith. There's the secular view and there's the biblical view. The secular view is seeing is believing. The biblical view is believing without seeing. And so Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we don't see. In other words, that's the biblical view. You don't understand it, but you just believe it. If God says it, you believe it. But the scientist says you're stupid. The scientific view of faith, the secular view is that you believe it when you see it. And that's the atheist. And they say, when I see it, I'll believe it. Except there's only one problem with that. It's no longer faith. When you see it and believe it. You see, they said to Jesus on the cross. It's in uh, uh, Mark uh, 15.32. Come down from the cross so we can see and believe. Had Jesus come down from the cross, they would have seen it. But then it wouldn't be faith anymore. What makes faith faith is that you don't have the answer, but you believe it. And that's what Hebrews 11.1 1 is all about. You may like to know... One of the deepest verses in the Bible is John eleven fifteen. I noticed that you've got somebody very sharp back there picking these verses out. Go to John eleven fifteen. Do you know what? This is when Jesus said, I'm glad for your sakes that I wasn't there, that you may believe. Here's what that, was, that verse is about. Mary and Martha had a brother. His name was Lazarus. He was a close friend of Jesus. And they sent word to Jesus, who I think was a hundred miles away, and said, your friend Lazarus is sick. They knew that as soon as Jesus heard that word, he would go straight to Bethany and heal Lazarus. They just knew that's what he would do. But you know what? He just stayed where he was, didn't leave. In fact, he showed up four days after the funeral. And Martha, then Mary, said, Lord, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. They blamed Jesus. And when Jesus got the word, first of all, he said, Lazarus is dead. And then he says, I'm glad I didn't go there because it's your opportunity to believe. Now, that's the whole point. When you can believe it, let me ask you all a question today. I don't know who else here. I don't know your background. When is the last time you thanked God for the privilege of faith? Faith. You say, Lord, it's an opportunity. I can believe. I have to tell you, you won't always have that privilege. The day will come. When you don't have that privilege. Now is the accepted time. And now is the time when without the questions being answered. But just believing the word. You have a, a moment when you can say I will believe the word. But let me ask you another question. Do you know for sure if you were to die today would you go to heaven? Do you? Let me ask you this question. If you were to stand before God, and you will, and he were to ask you, and he might, 
Why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Suppose uh, when you came in this morning, you were passed, given a sheet of paper. And uh, I'm going to tell you now why you were given that sheet of paper. Go along with me. Imagine you've got a sheet of paper on your lap. I want you to write down on that sheet of paper what you would say to God if he said to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Write it down. Knowing there's only one answer. Give the wrong answer, you have to go someplace else. What would you say? Well, everybody's had time. Pass your sheets to the end of the row. Uh, ushers, come and collect them. And, and now I've got uh, 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 several sheets of paper here, a couple hundred. Would you like to hear some of the answers? Well, here's one that says, uh, I, I believe I've lived a good life and I will go to heaven. I would say, good for you, but you're lost. Here's another. I was brought up in a Christian home. I said, wow, good. That means you had a head start, but that won't save you. Here's another. Well, I was baptized. Good. I'm sorry. That won't save you. Here's another. I was baptized by a Baptist preacher. You, my friend, are lost as a goose. Here's another. I've kept the Ten Commandments. Well, you're a liar for one thing. And here's another. I've lived by the Sermon on the Mount. You're a bigger liar. Do you know what I would write down on that sheet of paper? Two words will do nicely. Jesus died. Jesus died. I want to say to you with respect, if you wrote down on that sheet of paper anything other than that you're trusting the blood of Jesus, his death on the cross, anything other than that, the equivalent of that, with respect, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes for anything in the world. Amen. I've got one hope of going to heaven. Jesus died. And if you wrote down anything else, you're not in good shape. Well now, how do you forgive God totally? It's the same thing as breaking the betrayal barrier. Uh, this suggestion, be totally honest with God, tell Him your complaint. Second, make a list of those things you are truly thankful for. You ever hear the old hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Did you know that eight years ago in the Miami Herald, there was an article that psychologists have determined that thankful people live longer. Thankful people live longer. Third, fight self-pity and a feeling of entitlement with all your heart because giving in to those things pleases the devil. Fourth, choose to believe that God is just and that he has a purpose in what he permitted. And say with Job, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. And fifth, be willing to wait for things to become clear to you.
We used to sing back in Kentucky, someday he'll make it plain to me. Someday when I his face shall see. Someday from tears I shall be free, for someday I shall understand. We'll talk it over in the by and by. I'll ask the reason. He'll tell me why. Remember that the devil does not want you to forgive God. He's the accuser. He accuses you. He accuses God for all the troubles in the world. Don't give the devil pleasure by dignifying his hate toward God. I'm going to say something that may surprise you. I don't understand the book of Revelation. I did when I was 19 years old. But now I'm nearly 78. I only know three things. One, God wins. Two, Satan loses. Three, those who overcome by the blood of the Lamb will see the most glorious vindication of all time. When every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will be no more death, nor mourning, nor crying, or pain. For the old things have passed away. Dr. Michael Eaton says, it's a biblical principle that when God promises something but which does not apparently come to pass, you are given a temporary substitute which is in fact far better than what you initially wanted. Those in Hebrews chapter 11, they didn't get what was promised, but what they got was better than what they wanted. Or perhaps you've heard of Johnny Erickson Tata, the Young lady, she was young, when she was a teenager, through a diving accident, she was paralyzed from the neck down. I know her. I asked her, Johnny, would you like to be healed? You know what? Every faith healer under the sun has tried to pray for her. She doesn't want to be healed. You know why? She's been given a ministry to millions that she wouldn't have got if she'd been healed. We had her at Westminster Chapel. You never saw so many wheelchairs in your life. They came from everywhere because they thought, there's somebody that understands what I'm going through. And by her not being healed, she has a ministry to millions. Or take Paul's thorn in the flesh. I've written a book, Thorn in the Flesh. I don't know if we brought those or not. It must have been so bad that Paul asked God three times for it to go. And God, you know, said... Paul, what if I gave you a double anointing? Oh, says Paul, that's better. I'll take it. The thorn in the flesh stayed. We've got a double anointing. That's better. Or you might like to know, what was the reason that Jesus didn't heal Lazarus? He shows up four days after the funeral. And first, Martha says, Lord, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Then Mary, Lord, if you'd been here, our brother wouldn't have died. And they're sobbing their hearts out and they're blaming Jesus. You know what touches me, Joaquin? Jesus doesn't moralize them. 
He doesn't say, shame on you. He doesn't say, stop it because of you. Just be quiet. I'm going to raise him from the dead in about five minutes. No. It says he wept with them. He wept. Because he knew they didn't know what he was going to do. And then it turns out the reason he didn't heal Lazarus and keeping him from dying is that he thought raising him from the dead, better idea. And he, five minutes later, just raised him from the dead. See, here's the thing. Whenever God says no, are you listening to me? Whenever God says no to your request, it's because he has something better in mind than what you've got. Rick Warren, who we've been talking about today, said, When I face any apparent contradiction in Scripture, it is due to my limited capacity. That's breaking the betrayal barrier. In other words, when the Scriptures seem to contradict themselves, the problem lies with my inability to understand, not because Scripture itself contradicts itself. Well, I want to bring this message to a close. Suppose you're here today. And what if you have to come to terms with the fact that your most earnest prayer will not be answered? What if that happens? Keep praying, but what if you accept it's not going to be answered? What if you come to terms with the fact that you won't be healed? You won't get married. You won't get the reconciliation you want. The revival that you hope for won't be coming. You won't have children. Those people who won't forgive you will always hold a grudge. What if the faulty verdict from that uncaring judge will not be reversed. What if that enigmatic situation that has always bedeviled you will always remain an enigma? What if you go to your grave unvindicated and the people will always believe those lies? What if there will be no clarification of those difficult verses in the Bible? What if the prophecy given to you will remain unfulfilled? What if that disability you have lived with won't go away? What if your nightmarish marriage will go on and on? What if you don't get the job you wanted? What if you don't get to live in the house of your dreams? Can you say... Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. There are there no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. God says to you, congratulations. You have broken the betrayal barrier, and you have joined the big leagues. You are now up with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, Isaiah, Habakkuk. 
Your anointing will be greater here on earth. And you as a church, if you can take this, you can face anything that will come along in Miami. And you will turn your world upside down. This is the word for spring of life for the next 15 years. Not only that, you will have a, a greater anointing here below. And one other thing, on the last day, when God clears his name, and you're on the winning side, it'll be so much fun. And then, what will it be like? You know, a few months ago, the, the gold medals given out at the Olympics. I can remember, you know, little Gabby, when they put the gold on her and they played the national anthem. Everybody was so thrilled. But what would it be like to be her? And you're hearing your national anthem. Is there anything better than that? Yes. It's when Jesus looks at you in the eye one day and says, well done. Doesn't get better than that. I have one unfinished business here. You that gave the wrong answer a while ago. You that said you thought you were going to get to heaven, but because you did this or that... And you didn't write down because Jesus died for me. As I said, with respect, I wouldn't want to be in your shoes. But we can change all that right now. If you wrote the wrong answer in your mind, I want you to pray this prayer. You don't need to say it out loud. Say it in your heart right now. Lord Jesus, I need you. I want you. I'm sorry for my sins. I know my good works won't save me. Thank you for dying for me. I receive you. I welcome your Holy Spirit. As best as I know how, I give you my life. That's it. Did you pray that prayer? I think somebody did. I just have a feeling somebody prayed that prayer. You know who you are if you did. Let me ask you a question. Are you ashamed that you prayed that prayer? You say, why do you ask, R.T.? Well, because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you. You know what I'm going to do? If you prayed that prayer, I'm going to ask you in the next 30 seconds to stand up. You say, in front of all these people? Yes. Well, that's kind of scary, and, and, and I wouldn't want people to know I actually prayed that prayer. Look, it's a test whether you want what people think to matter more or what God thinks. In 15 seconds, in front of all these people, and you might be the only one, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm not going to ask you to make a speech. I'm just going to ask you to say, I prayed the prayer. Your dad stood first. Five, four, three, two, one. 
All over the place you prayed that prayer. Good. Good. I'm finished. Over to you. Hallelujah. Amen. What a powerful word. Let's give a big hand to the Lord. Amen. You may be seated right now. I'll have that. Thank you for responding to the Lord. Listen, I want to tell you, you're sitting in a highly privileged place right now. And the devil doesn't want anything more than you never to have been here this morning. And he doesn't want you to ever have heard those words that we heard this morning. And God is just, you know, he's raising the bar and calling us to a higher standing in his presence. Because in this world, everybody's swaying to and fro under the deceptive practice and schemes of Satan. Running away from God. Running, listen to me, running away from God. Because of things that are happening. When we should be running to God and pressing into greater relationship. And guess what? I don't know about you, but all the trials in my life make me to grab holder and embrace God more. Cause me to God. Like several years ago, Larry King, live CNN, uh, turns to Ruth Graham Bell and says, Your dad has a swelling brain, he has Alzheimer's, he has all these things. What do you say about your God? And she says, he's faithful. He's drawing my dad closer. Isn't that powerful? And that you could answer the same thing. The things are coming in my life so so I can have a, a closer standing with God. And so God is faithful. Like the psalmist says, you are faithful to afflict me so that I might draw nearer to you. I'm telling you that this, this morning has been priceless. Priceless. We say that we don't know how to celebrate. Thank you, our team. Awesome. Out of the park. Grand Slam. Setting a foundation. (laughs) Establishing a solid foundation for the next 15 years. What is God going to entrust to us in suffering so that the world might see our joy and our peace? Not because of the circumstances because of the character of an unwavering God. Hallelujah. RT, I know that you don't like this, but we want to honor you as best as we can know how. And this year we decided to to award, and then we said that we as the body of Christ don't know how to celebrate. We don't know how to recognize and give honor to whom honor is due. Let's go ahead and show this short video real quick. We want to give you what's going to start in this place as a World Changers Annual Award. You'll be the first recipient for 
Come and receive this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This will hang as a legacy in this church. You as a founder. It says, World Changer Award presented annually to faithful servants who inspire leadership results in faithful obedience and Christ-likeness to the body of Christ at Spring of Life Fellowship. Dr. R.T. Kendall, 2013. Hallelujah. I am so unworthy of this, but I'm very thankful and very grateful. Thank you. Hallelujah. The Bible says giving double honor to those who teach in the doctrines of the Lord and live the life out and the legacy of Dr. R.T. Kendall is worthy to follow wholeheartedly. His books should be memorized by the body of Christ and lifted up as the standard and the reference of our day. A man who doesn't waver based on popularity and pundits, but he's been faithful to listen to God. And, and you're going to hear those words, well done. You're going to hear those words. So we're to follow in his example. We give thanks to T.R., his son. Thanks for honoring your dad and coming along. Come up here. Come up here. I want Spring of Life to know because long after RT is gone, we got TR. And we're going to have him come and share his heart and his faithfulness. Because there's not many young men in this world that are serving their dad. There's not many young men in this world that are honoring so long life and powerful things in the future. Hallelujah. We're going to finish here in a second. We'll close in prayer tonight. We're going to have a huge celebration. We're going to also honor R.T. Kendall tonight and give him something to take home with him. But um, I thank God for today. Every year at this time is our birthday. And every year, I don't have to do anything. God does something powerfully. And this year, our gift is Dr. R.T. Kendall's words that will be close to our hearts as we continue to run the race. And tonight, the ordination of four young men, powerful. These are gifts to the body of Christ. Father, I thank you for what has happened this morning. Thank you, Lord, that we can look beyond our circumstances. And after today, we break that, that the sense of betrayal barrier, oh God, that Satan so artfully and craftily puts before our eyes to strip us of our call. I pray, oh God, that today we can say, God, I believe in you with all my heart, with all my mind, all my strength. I'm not going to trust in my own ways. I'm going to fully trust in you. And you shall direct my path. Leaning not on our understanding, but trusting fully upon God. Pray, oh God, that this word would be the start of a new and closer walk with you. 
Bless RT, oh God. The body of Christ needs him, oh God. The leaders in the body of Christ need him, oh God. Establish his words with power as a foundation for the coming years. We give you thanks for this gift and we receive it, welcome it in our hearts, in our spirits, oh God. And you be glorified and exalted so that all men might draw near to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Greet one another in the love of the Lord.